Let us pray. Father, we thank you that glorious things of yours have been spoken through Scripture over time. And Father, as your children come before you to listen once again to your holy words, I pray, Father, that you will open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to see, hear, experience, live out glorious truth of yours spoken through your word. Father, we know that we can't hear, we can't believe, we can't act unless your Spirit prompts us, unless your Spirit stirs us. Lord God, we are helpless. So Father, we pray as we come to you this morning that your Spirit will stir in our hearts, just like how you stir the Spirit of Cyrus. May you stir our spirits that our spirits will rise, that the gift of faith may be given to us, that we may respond to you and our lives will be changed. Father, we ask this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. The war in Darfur in Sudan has caused the killing of over 300,000 people in the name of ethnic cleansing. Starvation and diseases have also claimed the lives of at least 2.5 million individuals. In an effort to raise funds to help the victims of, uh, of, uh, of Darfur, there is a, a, a Facebook account called Save Darfur Facebook was set up. The Facebook account was set up for two reasons. Firstly, to raise money to help the victims of the crisis, and secondly, to get Facebook users to recruit their friends and contacts to join in giving to this course. It's a very good and holy course that we should all be involved in. However, there was a study being done in 2014 that looked at this Facebook website. And they found out that 1.17 million people have indicated that they are concerned and were willing to give support to this horrific event in the Sudan. But to their surprise, the survey discovered that 99.8% of the people who liked the page actually gave zero dollars, zero cent to the course. And 72% have not recruited anyone from their social media account to join the course. It seems that it's very easy these days to like a Facebook account. It's very easy these days to put a like to an Instagram post, to add a love this comment on the, on the Facebook, uh, a, a, a Facebook account. But the reality is that social media doesn't change us. Just because it's easier right now to access information doesn't mean that we're more generous. Just because we can read about the massacres in Sudan just with a click of a mouse doesn't make us more willing to help our fellow human beings. It's easy to talk about giving it's easy to talk about theological issues. It's easy to talk about God, the scriptures. But it's much more harder 
to allow scripture, to allow theology, to allow what we see on Facebook and all social media to actually change us. There are some of us who don't change or don't grow because we think we don't need to do that anymore. And, and not even social media allows us to change or to grow. And it's easy to talk about these things. It's easy to like. It's easy to comment on these things on social media. But for us to actually go out of our way, to be changed in our attitude to gift, is another different thing. What causes people to change, to act? This is the question Ezra chapter 3 verses, uh, 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 chapter three, verses 8 to 13 seeks to answer. Ezra chapter 3 speaks of the time where the Jews have just returned from exile. As they make their way back to Jerusalem, they've already settled down in their own towns. Last week we learned that they have built an altar to the Lord so that they could celebrate for the first time in years the Feast of Tabernacles. And now as we come to Ezra chapter 3 from verses 8 onwards, we begin to see the Jews getting down to serious work. They're starting to build the temple of the Lord, the house of the Lord. So we read in verse 8 of Ezra chapter 3. In the second month of the second year, after they arrived at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who returned from captivity to Jerusalem began the work. Why did the Jews start constructing at the second month of the second year after their arrival? Well, this was the month King Solomon built the first temple, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 2. And the people are going to also sing the same song that Solomon sang as, his, uh, as the worship team sang in the building of the temple. And in Ezra chapter 3 verse 11, we're going to hear them sing the same song again. He is, going, he is good, his love towards Israel endures forever. So the people are trying to replicate what Solomon did when he first built the temple. And just as King Solomon uh, built the temple on the second month of the uh, the second month, so the people here, the religious leader here, were united in building uh, the second temple in the same way. And here we read in verse eight, the Zerubbabel and uh, and the rest of the people were all united, just like in the time of Solomon, they were all united in the building. And we're also told that the appointed Levites. 20 years and older to help in the building of the Lord's house. This was also in keeping with what Solomon did in 1 Chronicles chapter 23, verses 24 to 32, when Solomon enlisted the Levites 20 years and over in the building of the temple. They were mimicking the way in which Solomon built the first temple, but there was a big difference. What's the big difference? After they laid down the foundation of the temple, there was no great display of God's glory like it did in Solomon's time. 
You see, when the temple was dedicated during Solomon's time in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we are told that the glory of the Lord filled the entire temple. Fire came down from heaven and the cloud of God's presence filled the sanctuary and God appeared to Solomon in a very grand way, asking Solomon what he wanted. But here in Ezra, they followed exactly how Solomon built the temple. They built on the same month, they sang the same song, they got the same Levites uh, to build and to, to, to chaperone the building of the temple. But here there was no glory, no fire from heaven, no cloud, no speech from the Lord, no appearance from the Lord. What went wrong? It's just like me, you know, sometimes you want to install a software on your computer and you follow each and every step they tell you. Step one, this is what you're supposed to do. Step two, that's what you're supposed to do. Step three, and you follow down all the instructions and then you press execute. But the program is not downloaded the way you want it to download. What went wrong? The people followed all the steps like Solomon did, but God didn't show up. What happened? Why didn't God show up? And this is why we read in verse 12 that many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. Why did the older priests, the Levites and the family hates, heads weep at the temple's foundation being laid? The most prevalent answer that you read in many commentaries is that, well, it's because the temple foundation in Ezra's time was much smaller than Solomon's time, was not as impressive. But that's actually not true. The second temple, in fact, in terms of dimensions, is actually bigger than Solomon's temple. If you look at the first uh, temple under Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 2, the dimensions of the temple is actually, I've converted this into meters, 27 meters long, 9 meters wide, and 14 meters high. But if you look at Ezra chapter 6, verse 3, Ezra's temple, which is the second temple, is actually bigger. The second temple is 27 meters high, same height, but it is 27 meters wide, while Solomon's temple was only 9 meters wide. So actually, the second temple under Ezra was much bigger. So it can't be that the people wept because uh, the second temple was much smaller. That's not true. So why is it that the older people the older Levites, the priests, and the family heads weep when they saw the foundation of the temple because they did not see the presence of God. They did not see the cloud. They did not see the glory. They did not hear God speaking. They did not hear, they did not see fire coming down from heaven because God apparently did not show up the way they wanted. Why? What went wrong? It's the pride of the people. Many of the older people knew and felt that they knew how God worked. 
If they sang the right song, if they built the temple the way Solomon did, if they follow step 1 to 12, how the temple is being filled, then God must show up. They are treating God as a calculator. Punch in the right numbers and press enter and you get the results. But God is showing the older folk. No, that's not who I am. You can't control me like that. The pride of the people thought they knew how to control God. Let's do it this way and we will get this result. So that's why they wept. They thought they knew how God worked. Their pride was standing in the way. They were unwilling to change and put God outside the box. They wanted God to be in the box because they knew, they thought they knew how God worked. They were unwilling to change. They were prideful. It's just like a time when I was in, in one church and now the ones told me, you don't have to preach and teach us about evangelism. Don't have to do that. And I said, why? Well, I've been in this church for 40 years and every time God brings in new people, no point teaching us about evangelism. We know how God works. I've been in this, this church for 40 years and I know how God works. Don't have to do anything. We don't want to grow. We don't want to change. We're not willing to step out of our comfort zones. Why? Because we think we have a corner on how God works. And this is what the older Jewish people thought. If we do it, sing the right songs, get the right people to build the temple, God will show up like the way he did in Solomon's time. But when they did not see God working the same way, they wept. Pride has gotten in their way. And what's the solution? We need to have a learning and humble spirit. Let me illustrate. I'm currently learning to play the guitar. Every fortnight, I will take lessons from my guitar teacher. Every fortnight, my guitar teacher will introduce me to a new aspect of playing the guitar. Then after each lesson, he would give me homework to do. He would sometimes give me exercises to practice. Sometimes he would ask me to videotape myself so I could watch myself practice and notice my own mistakes. And do you know how dreadful it is to videotape yourself and to watch yourself? And yet I do it. Yet I practiced what he wanted me to practice. Why? Not because I'm the paragon of what the perfect and obedient student looks like. No, 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 I'm far from that. The reason why I listened to what my guitar teacher says is because of how I see myself. I never see myself as an expert in guitar playing. In fact, I don't think I'm even good at it. And because of this attitude that I'm still learning Everything that the guitar teacher gives me, I'm willing to test out, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to lean in to listen to what he has to say because I know that what the lessons he's giving me is for my good so that I can perfect my skills in time. And I think that we need to have that attitude when it comes to God. God, I don't have a hold on you. I don't know how you work. 
Yes, we have principles of how God works, but I can't control how you work. You work outside. You're much greater than my thoughts. So I'm willing to lean in. I'm willing to take on board what you have for me. That's why God sometimes shakes us up by giving us trials and setbacks. So that we can reassess ourselves. So that our pride can be shattered. And here the older Jewish the returnees, for the first time, experienced a shock of their lives. They were being shaken. God did not show up the way they wanted. But where was God? Did God forget to come back when the temple foundations were laid? Was he caught in traffic somewhere? Did God's GPS app <laughs> failed? Not really. Where was God? The clue is in Ezra chapter 3, verse 4. Where is God? Chapter 3, verse 4. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. The chapter actually begins with the Jewish returnings, returnees returning on the seventh month where they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles is one of the most joyous feasts among all the feasts in Israel. This is because the Jews get to celebrate, to eat and drink. But it's also the only feast where the Jews get to camp outside, outdoors for seven or eight days, and they build for themselves little booths made out of trees and plants and palm branches. And later the Mishnah will tell them that they are to eat even the fruits that hang from these little booths. And later Jewish tradition even requires the Jews to wave palm branches during this uh, celebration of the Feast of the Tabernacles. What on earth is the significance of living in these booths? It's a yearly reminder by God to Israel that God dwelled with the people amongst them when they first came out of Egypt. Why did the returnees celebrate the Feast of the, of the Tabernacles here in Nazareth chapter 3? It's God's way of saying, I am with you where you are. Just like you, as you live in little booths in the wilderness, I am there with you. Just as you lived in the, in the city of Jerusalem, those in ruins, I am there with you. My presence is no longer just confined to the temple. My presence is not just in a small little corner of the temple in the Holy of Holies. No, my presence is now with you. And that's why God did not show up in terms of the cloud. In terms of the fire, in terms of the speaking voice of uh, when he when he met Solomon after the building of the, of the, of the, of the, of the dedication of the temple, because God's not restrained in just the confines of the temple. The house of God is far greater than just the temple. It's where the people are. The older folks wept because they did not. They were too prideful to see beyond the box. They only saw God's presence equate the temple. 
But God here is challenging the people. My presence is where my people are. But the older folks did not see it. But the younger ones did. That's why we see in verse 11, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. Some of them did see it. He is good. His love towards Israel and yours forever, they sung. And the people gave a shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the temple was laid. There were people who saw it. But then verse 12, the older ones, but many of the older priests and Levites and family hates who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while others shouted for joy. There were some who did not see it and some who saw it. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. There will be people who are willing to humble themselves and lean into what God is doing. And there are those who are so stuck up in their own ways that they refuse to even see what God is doing. And it happens to us today too, isn't it? For who, where do you stand? Many years later, Jesus is going to march into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. And we're being told in John chapter 12, verse 13, that when Jesus marched in, what happened? The crowd started to wave at him. But they did not just wave with their hands. How did they wave at Jesus? They waved with palm branches. And they went out shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Just as palm branches were being waved at the Feast of Tabernacles, here the people waved palm branches at Jesus. Just as the Feast of the Tabernacles remind the Jews that God does not live in temples, but God lived among the booths with His people. Here Jesus is coming into Jerusalem one last time, and Jesus is saying, God doesn't live in temples. He lives amongst you. I have come to live amongst you. But just like in the time of Ezra, some people are going to see it and some people are not because we know that in five days, those people who did not see it are going to murder Jesus and crucify him by hanging him on the cross. Why? They were too prideful. They were too prideful to see that Jesus is the God who has come to live the mountains. Jesus did not fit their image of the Messiah. And they were not willing to open up. And they were not willing to give the Holy Spirit a chance to convince them. And so they killed Jesus on the cross. Where will you be? Those who are opened to how the Spirit leads and see Jesus for who He is or those people who are going to be so stuck up and say, I know what God looks like, it's not Jesus. But there's more. The Apostle John tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, that Jesus will one day come back and when Jesus comes back this time, there will be a great multitude that will be there to usher him in. There will be people from every nation, 
every tribe, every peoples, every people of every language. They will all be standing around the throne before the Lord and they will watch and they will wait for the Lamb to come. And they will all be wearing white robes and they'll be waving at the Lamb. And they will not just wave with their hands. But what does Revelation 7 says? They will wave again using palm branches. Just as palm branches were being waved at the Feast of the Tabernacles, just as palm branches were being waved when Jesus entered into Jerusalem for the, for the last time, they're going to wave palm branches again. Some will see the Lamb for who He is, and some will not. Which crowd? Do you belong to? God wants to make his dwelling amongst us. He did this initially with the temple. But that's not enough. He takes a step closer. He makes his people his dwelling place. But that's not enough. He sends Jesus to dwell amongst us. But that's not enough. One day he wants to dwell amongst us physically. And for all eternity through our Lord Jesus Christ. But will we welcome him? Will we turn to him and say yes? Yes Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to let go of my pride. I'm willing to open up myself and welcome you in. Dallas Willard once told a story about a funeral where the mother of a little boy had just passed away. The funeral was well attended by friends and church members. The pastor gave a beautiful gospel message at the funeral and after the refreshments were all served, the guests all were making their way home. The father returned home with his little boy for the first time without their mom, without mom. And this is when loneliness actually creeps in. It's always after the funeral, after all the guests have returned. The sky was getting dark, so the dad tucked his son into bed. And just as his father was about to crawl into his own bed, he heard a knock on the door. And the little boy could not sleep. He missed his mom. He didn't want to sleep alone, so he asked dad if he could sleep with him. And even while the son was sleeping with his dad, he could not sleep. And finally, the little boy turned to his father and asked, Dad, is your face turned towards me now? The father said, yes, you are not alone. I'm with you and my face is turned towards you. Five minutes later in the darkness, the little boy asked dad again, Dad, is your face turned towards me now? Yes, I'm looking at you, son. Five minutes later, the boy asked again, Dad, is your face turned towards me now? I need you to be looking at me because I'm lonely. Yes, I'm looking at you now. Finally, the little boy fell asleep. After which the father in the darkness of the night in the midst of his own pain and misery, in the midst of his own loneliness, he turns to God and say, Dad, is your face turned towards me now? 
And out of the silence, out of the darkness, a voice says to this crying dad, Yes, I'm looking at you now. God wants to dwell with us and look at us, even in our most sorrowful and most difficult times. But it's our pride standing in our way that we don't look to Him. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you want to dwell amongst us. But at times we are so stuck up in our own prideful ways that we have a formula of how you work. That we are not open to experience you in our lives. Father, turn us to you. Father, in the midst of our loneliness and our pain, we turned again to you. Father, I thank you, thank you so much that you did not just choose to dwell in the temple, but you choose to dwell amongst your people. And you sent Jesus to dwell amongst us. And one day we will be with the Lamb forever. But give us eyes to see your presence. Give us eyes to trust your comfort and greatness. Give us eyes to sense the closeness of your presence. Help us not to be like the older priests and Levites and family heads who did not see your presence. Help us not to be like the Jews in Jesus' time who did not see the presence of God coming into their midst to dwell with them and they crucified, crucified Jesus. Help us not to be blind when the Lamb of God comes to usher us into the kingdom. Oh Lord, Father, we just want to pray that you challenge us. Break down our pride. Break down our preconceptions. Break down our, our I know it all. Break them down so that we can cling on and see you afresh again. Oh Lord Jesus, help us to see Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen.